I've had a chance to watch a lot of, of webinars over the past uh, few weeks. And there's been a lot of questions and a lot of trainings that have been ongoing. What is going to, first it started with, you know, how do we uh, meet together online as a church? Those were some of the webinars I was watching. And now I've been watching some webinars on what's it going to look like and how are we going to transition back into being able to gather as the church. One of the webinars that I was able to watch this past week was one called The Four Conference. It was meant to be an in-person conference but because of the pandemic, they were no longer able to have the conference, so they moved it to a virtual talk, a one-hour talk that was uh, very, very powerful. And the four conference gave this uh, point. It started off with this point that thriving organizations are more concerned with being for the community than trying to get the community to be for them. To say that again, thriving organizations are more concerned with being for the community than trying to get the community to be for them. And what's true for organizations is actually true for churches and for Christians. And so um, I thought about this, this statement and thought, does that describe me? And let me ask you that same question. Does that describe you? The other thing that I've watched over the last couple of weeks is the news to stay up to date as to what is happening. Obviously, the pandemic is changing rapidly. Uh, everything that we do and every way that we act. And so one of the ways uh, in order to stay informed is just to keep up on the news. And one of the things I've seen is that there have been lots of reports over the last couple of weeks about people who have not gotten their rights, who have not gotten their share, who have not gotten their turn, who aren't being looked after. What if there's a better way? What if there's a way that is the most good because it chooses to do the most good, even in this moment, in this season, in this crisis? What if we were to choose to be for something rather than asking something to be for us what if there's a way that the most good is because it chooses to do the most good what if the way that is most good is the way that does the most good we learned last week that you and i are well we're priests we're priestesses we're we're part of the priesthood of all believers, a holy nation being built to the glory of God. And we talked last week that priests, well, they have rough and honestly some well-deserved bad reputations. But they also have some just weird reputations, right? Um, for example, I've shared this story before, but when I would uh, officiate weddings... Uh, for folks that just contacted the church, they were looking for a place to host a wedding, and of course I officiated for them. I didn't really know anyone, but I took it as an opportunity to uh, minister to them. And so they would somehow, for some reason, feel obligated to invite me to the wedding reception. And so I'd be stuck at a table in the back, and I'd kind of sit there for a little bit. And, you know, people would be enjoying themselves, maybe some... Um, Adult beverages would be flowing, you know, the, the kind of receptions that people sometimes have. 
and sometimes the conversation would, would get a little more relaxed and people's inhibitions would drop a little bit and they'd start to share some stories and then they'd look at me. And they go, oh, oh, wait, I can't tell that story. You're the pastor. Oh, oh I almost, sorry, Reverend. And, you know, it's, it's kind of to the point where I understand what some of my friends in ministry have said, where when they're asked, what is it you do for a living? They say, I'm in sales. They don't say, I'm in church ministry. I'm clergy. I'm a pastor. They just, they just don't do that because people look at us as in, in ministry, people look at us when we say that we're a Christian, they, they sometimes look at us like, well, what kind of Christian? One of the good Christians or are you one of the weird Christians? And let's face it, priests today, if we were to say that we were part of the priesthood of all believers, we'd probably be categorized in the, you're one of the weird ones. Sometimes Christians also walk around as holier than thou, letting people know what they're doing wrong all the time. And sometimes Christians abuse their power for themselves. And, and Peter wants us to choose, as the priesthood of all believers, if we're going to live that out, we need to choose the best good option. And that means we need to choose the highest good. That's why he wrote in 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We've talked before about this, but good is something that only God gets to decide. We all have our own subjective understandings of what is good and what is not good. And we sometimes place that expectation on God. One of the greatest questions that people have in, in struggling in their faith or coming to faith in Jesus is simply the idea of how could a good God allow us to suffer? And I think it's summarized like this. Andy Stanley recently said in a message, no Christian has ever believed in a God who didn't allow bad things to happen to good people. After all, he allowed the worst thing possible to happen to the best person ever. He allowed the worst thing ever to happen to the best person ever. And so God has a different understanding, a greater view, a, a top-down view of what goodness is. And in the moment, we don't always see that. So Peter's saying, look, live in a way that may cost you now, may cause you to suffer now, just like Jesus had to suffer, he had to die. The Bible says that Christians are to take up our cross and follow him, an instrument of death, an instrument of suffering. And that we are to live in a way that give God, gives God the glory. We are to give it to him. It's to point people that God has a better plan, a better understanding. I think back to, you know, just over the last couple of years uh, when the horrific mass shootings would happen uh, across the United States. And that's still a, a topic of debate that's, that's raging today. But as Christians responded and as leaders responded with our thoughts and prayers go out to the victims, there was criticism that came back. There was criticism that said, you're not doing enough. And maybe that criticism is a, has a little bit of weight 
that there if you do have the authority to do something to make people's lives safe maybe you should take that up and do that but it's led to a mockery of prayer as a meaningful response to crisis and so we get ridiculed a little bit for just saying that we're going to do something that God says is very good. And it's in those moments that we have to remember what Psalm 34 says, which is the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them and he delivers them from all their troubles. Maybe not right away, but he always delivers. He always hears when his people, his righteous people cry out. My point is that we can't always assume what the best good really is. We don't always have the best perspective. Like children who sometimes need a parent to tell them to eat their vegetables, even though they may not like their vegetables. We need God to tell us through his word what good that glorifies him really is. So he says, live an undeniably good life but something happens when we try to do this kind of good right because the verse that i showed you before wasn't actually the whole verse peter says live such outrageously undeniably good lives among the pagans live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's amazing. There is a level of goodness that is so good, that glorifies God so well, people think we're doing the wrong thing. It leads to accusation, not congratulation. I'm thankful for this warning. I don't like that it's real. But it's another example of how the Bible speaks true to life and true to our experience. Doing good can sometimes create an allergic reaction in other people. I don't know their motivation. I don't know why they do this. Maybe they want to drag you down so that they don't look different than you. Maybe it's because they're jealous. Maybe it's because they fundamentally disagree with your stance on living a life that glorifies God and doing good in a way that only God can get the glory. And one commentator said that depending on their temperament and their situation, it's easy to imagine that some of Peter's first readers might naturally wish to resist either verbally or physically those who are unjustly maligning and grieving the Christian community. They want to fight back. Others may be adopting a more passive stance, privatizing their Christian faith and publicly assimilating to the culture, not living any differently at all, being closet Christians, so to speak. Fight or flee when people accuse you of doing wrong. And Peter's exhortation, this commentator said, effectively corrects both theoretical tendencies to resist and to privatize, to fight or to flee. Because Peter says 
in just the verse before this one, in chapter 2, verse 11, that there's something that we need to realize that unlocks our potential to do good even when we're criticized for it. It's this. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. See, the battle to do good where God gets the glory is not a battle that lies outside of us, but a battle that lies inside. Battle to do God's good inside, not outside. You see, the desire to fight back against unjust criticism or, or fade away from unjust criticism stems from an internal desire to get the glory for ourselves. We want the justification. We want the congratulations. We want the accolades. We want the recognition. We want the vindication. And when we don't get that, we view other people as our enemy. And so we fight against them or we pull away from them. Don't give in to that, Peter says. Don't give in to that, God says. The battle is not with others. The battle is within. Think of yourself as different, like a foreigner, like someone who lives outside of the culture. You know of a different culture. You know of a different place, and that's how you choose to live. Joshua would say at the end of his life, as for me and my house, he will serve the Lord. He's deciding for him and his household that he will not fight what other people think of him. He will not flee from what other people think of him. He will only live for the glory of God, and he will do the kind of good that only can give glory to God. There will always be a desire to fit in. But Peter says, fight the right battle. Say, I will choose to do good, undeniable, outrageous good that reveals God's glory when God comes. So think of yourself as a foreigner. Now, you may think that doesn't take much of a fight, but we are called to die to sin. And one of the things that you and I have know for certain is that we will fight to live. Every one of us fights to live. No one fights the battle to sacrifice because naturally that's just hard. Our every inclination is to do what's best for us, to do what's good for us, what we think is good for us. And Peter says, fight against that because that's a sinful tendency that lives within us. You are now part of the priesthood of all believers. Live for God's glory, not your own. Intentionally choosing to die is hard. Even Jesus struggled with God's plan to have him suffer and die on the Part of being human. But it is a battle that you can win as a follower of Jesus. It is a battle that you can win where you choose to live for God's glory. It's like, um, if I can use a sports analogy, it's like basketball. There are three kinds of players in basketball. There were offensive players. Offensive meaning they could score at will from whatever place. And then in that offensive category there were 
uh, specialists. You know, someone would be able to shoot the ball from long range and maybe get three points instead of two. Or someone was a tough interior player, you know, close to the uh, basketball hoop, and everyone kind of gathered around the basketball to hoop, and they would bump each other and they would uh, hit each other trying to stop him. But th- this person or this this uh, uh, woman would just be able to score at will from the interior, just an offensive powerhouse. Or maybe they were just a gifted passer. Finding the open person as the defense tried to uh, stop them, they'd find the open person and get the best, easiest look for a person to make a shot. That's one kind of player. There were also defensive stars. Defensive stars, just, you know, someone who is able to shut down the other team's best players, make sure that they aren't able to run their offense, score points, and they could rebound. That was that was kind of my thing in, in high school. I love to grab rebounds and uh, get the offense started on our team to stop them from getting second chances at scoring. So, so I kind of focused on the defensive side, a defensive specialist. But there's a third kind of player. It's not an offensive star. It's not a defensive star. It's a superstar. And a superstar not only does offense well, but they do defense well. They excel at both. And that's what Peter's telling us to do. Do so much good that even though people accuse you of doing wrong, it will clearly reveal God's glory at the time that he arrives. Do that. Focus on that. That's, that's your offense. But your defense, when people do accuse you of using wrong, is not to fight or to flee, but it's to recognize that the battle is not within your relationship with others. It's not outside, but it's inside. And what that need for vindication, that need for recognition, that need for an accolade is something that we need to put aside. We need to fight against. It needs to die because that allows God to get the glory. And so that becomes a level of choices like Dr. Stumbo shared. The four conference ended by making it personal. And it was a good personal challenge. They asked two questions that I thought were really helpful. What should I walk away from? What has this pandemic, what has this season, what has this opportunity taught me that I need to walk away from? And what should I hold on to? What should I walk away from? What should I hold on to? You know, it's amazing that um, this sermon series has been planned, that this would be the day that we would preach this message. And this has been planned since January, that this would be the day that this message got preached. And just Friday, Dr. Stumbo did a video for the whole Alliance family saying the exact same thing as this passage. What should I walk away from? What should I hold on to? It is amazing that I would watch a webinar that is the exact same message as this passage. What should I walk away from? What should I hold on to? What if you and I were to adopt a superstar mentality in our faith? That we're going to be excellent at defense, struggling internally, fighting that fight within, not giving in to our sinful desires, which certainly include sins that the Bible says not to do, but the sin of not giving glory to God by wanting it for ourselves. Or what about, and on top of that, being a 
superstar on offense. I will do so much good that God's glory is because the battleground to do good lies within you. What if we were to choose to be superstars? Doing so much good that God's glory is revealed and abstaining, fleeing, running, fighting the battle that's within me rather than with others. That's the kind of life that I want to live. How about you? Let me pray for you. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to be superstars, not because we want the accolade or we want the glory, but because we want that to go to you. We want you to get the recognition. We want our lives to point to you as priests, as priestesses, as the priesthood of all believers, a holy nation, our lives to demonstrate the living hope, Jesus Christ. So would you help us to be superstars on offense? To do the kind of good that's so outrageous, that so uh, seems countercultural, that it gives glory to you. And when we receive that kind of criticism, when we receive accusation, would you help us to fight the battle that's within, not without? Would you help us to remember that the battle to do good lies within us? Help us to live for you. Would you help us to be superstars for you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.